Odd Trails is a true paranormal podcast that contains adult language and can be frightening for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. All throughout her life, my mom has faced death close to her. I have been lucky as I have never lost anyone close to me until my late teens. To be clear, I'm not saying my mom is killing these people or it's in a suspicious way. I just think she's had some bad luck. But when I say she's had a connection to death, I mean that she knows when people will die and before it happens. Not long enough to reach out to them or anything, but more on a subconscious level, through her dreams. She's only ever told me a couple of these stories in detail, but she will tell me when someone has died that she had a dream about it before. This first time it happened, it wasn't a dream, but I believe she knew this person would die before they did. She was a gymnast, and at a young age, I believe before 12, she was working on a skill she hated practicing, and her coach was tough on her. She knew he was a lovely person in his early 30s and had just gotten married and had her first child, a baby girl. Long story short, she wished he would die so she wouldn't have to attend practice the following Monday. This is harsh, I know, but in the mind of a 12-year-old, this isn't a big deal. Of course, she didn't mean it at all. Anyway, you can guess what happened. A fatal car accident. Leaving his wife and a newborn without a father. My mom felt horribly guilty. She blamed herself for years, but she knows she never meant it. And it truly was not her fault. There was nothing she could have done. The accident would have happened regardless, but I believe her subconscious knew that it would happen before it did. This second story she told me about happened rather recently, a couple of years ago. For some context, my grandfather died of cancer when my mom was still in high school. A couple years ago, she had a dream. She was with her father at home having coffee and watching TV. He turns to her and says he would like her to come with him to her friend's house, and he wanted to take her husband out for lunch. She drove over with him, and he and his friend's husband left together, and she stayed with her friend, who seemed upset. When she woke up in the morning, she saw on Facebook that this husband her dad took out for lunch in her dream had passed in his sleep in the night. She's not particularly close with these people, so she didn't know beforehand that he wasn't well. 
She told me about this dream and that she's had those dreams before, always with her father, who wants to go visit or go somewhere with someone in her life, who would then pass about a day of the dream. She believes it is so like him to want to help people through the valley of death, in reference to a Bible quote or story their pastor had read to him while he was on his deathbed so many years ago. So maybe she isn't connected to death, but just her father who uses her dreams as an outlet to connect with these people in their final moments and days. We'll never know, I suppose. I hope one day she does that for me and my friends. I believe she will. These connected incidents took place in 2016, about six to eight months apart from each other. I lived alone in a two-bedroom condo in a pretty popular north side neighborhood of Chicago on Clark Street. That detail is important because it always made me feel extremely safe living on my own, knowing that there will always be people literally within reach. I loved my apartment, and at this point, I had been there for four years. I worked so much and had an inconsistent work schedule. I feel like I really was only home to sleep and chill out. One night, after a really annoying 12 to 8 p.m. shift, I started to doze off in my living room with a glass of wine and finally slumped off to my bedroom and fell asleep. For context, my bedroom was right behind my living room, right off the entrance foyer. If you were to lay in my bed and face west, you would have a clear view of my front entrance door. Whenever I can actually remember my dreams, I'm usually pretty aware of what is going on and can sum them up pretty nicely and reflect. Otherwise, I simply don't remember my dreams. There's no in-between. But that night was weird and completely different because it was as if I were in a dream completely aware and completely in control, and was exactly where I had left off, in bed. It was as if I weren't dreaming at all, just simply opening my eyes and staring at the same entrance door. Except this time, I knew there was something extremely bad on the other side of that door. The hustle and bustle of Clark Street, it was gone. Just a hum and a pounding in my ears. The bad feeling intensified and I just knew that I had to face whatever was on the other side of that door. So I slowly got out of bed and walked like a zombie towards the door, terrified. As I unlocked the door and slowly turned the knob, the door burst open so forcefully that I fell flat on my back. I didn't even have time to recover before two elongated, gnarled hands flew towards me aggressively trying to claw at my face with these twisted, long, and dirty fingernails. I was terrified and screaming. I knew I was screaming because it was my own scream that woke me up. I didn't even have time to figure out who or what the hands belonged to. I just know that the force was so much that I had to do everything to keep those hands away from me. Or die. 
I couldn't go back to sleep that night until the sun came up a bit. I got a few hours in before having to be up for work again. Eat, sleep, work, repeat. That's it. And I feel like that's the reason why I eventually forgot about the dream. Well, several months go by, and I just think it was a night terror or something like that. It must have spooked me because, as I said, I never experienced that type of surreal dream. But then the second incident happened, which is by far the scariest thing I have ever experienced. My night was looking the same. I was just chilling after work, getting drowsy, and I finally decided to head to bed. I think I fell asleep pretty quickly, and before I knew it, that same exact feeling started to take over. Completely in control, no hustle and bustle of the street outside, completely aware of imminent danger. I'm laying on my side, same clear view of the entrance door. The light in my entrance foyer is on. It helps, but the danger feeling is still there. I twitch my head up just a bit, blink, and then it was there. Kneeling at the side of my bed was this humanoid creature. Its skin was brown and looked burnt or wilted. It had elongated fingers, arms, neck, torso, hands. It was bald and its nose looked like it had been sort of chipped away. Its eyes were also missing. If you've ever played Zelda Ocarina of Time, this thing reminded me of the Re-Deads, except fleshier, burnt, and very real. It was praying. It was kneeling down at the side of my bed with its head down, hands clasped, and praying. It was muttering rapidly, shaking its clasped hands back and forth. When I was finally able to move, all I could do was slowly sit up, pulling my blanket as I did. Finally, after getting over the shock, I screamed and I punched my fist at this thing's head. It went right through it. And then the thing just wasn't there. It just disappeared and I'm still screaming and kicking at this point. I jumped out of bed and switched my lamp on. Nothing was there. I hear the hustle and bustle of Clark Street again. It's only about 40 minutes after I had fallen asleep. And that moment I realized I wasn't dreaming. There was no bad dream to scream myself awake from. I was in real life. This was real life. That terrified me so much that I actually moved out of that very nice apartment. Before I start my story, I would like to give a short disclaimer. I will be describing some procedures for the sake of better understanding of the story. I do not in any way implicitly or explicitly encourage anyone to follow these steps and put your life at risk. I will be talking about a game and many people have tried yet failed to succeed in this game. On the other hand, a couple of people have succeeded. but. I would never want anyone to deliberately choose the path of danger. Earlier, I had told the story about my brother-in-law. 
This is another one. For protecting his privacy, I've named him Sam. Sam was a horror enthusiast during his younger days and has gone through a lot of spooky experiences in his life. This is one of them. Before getting into the story, I would like to brief you about the game being talked about. Most of the people have heard about it, given its popularity. But for those of you who don't know, here it goes. The game is of South Korean origin. Some people call it the elevator game or the elevator to the next world. This game gained much popularity after the death of Elisa Lam. Her last available footage shows her behaving weirdly in an elevator in a hotel, and then her body is found in that same hotel. This game was first described on one of the dark web pages. I won't go into much detail. Also, Every piece of information I am providing is open to criticism. This is considered an urban legend and I am just quoting what the internet has shown me. Now, about the procedure of the game. To play this game, you need an elevator, of course, and the building you are playing in must have at least 10 floors. This can be performed at any point of time throughout the day and night. The rules say that you have to be the only person in the elevator for it to be successful. If any other person gets in during the game, it needs to be restarted. This is the reason most people choose night to be an ideal time to play the game. You have to enter the lift on the first floor. You should be alone. After getting in, you have to press the button to the fourth floor. Once the lift has reached the fourth floor, you have to press the button for the second floor. After that, press for the sixth floor and again back to the second floor. Once back to the second floor, directly go to the tenth floor. And then, from the tenth floor, finally press the button to the fifth floor. During this procedure, if someone else tries to access the elevator, the game gets discontinued. Once you reach the fifth floor, the door to the elevator will open, and it is said that a lady will enter the lift. You are not supposed to look at the lady for even a second, not even a short look. The lady can either be a stranger or probably someone you might know, but in either case, do not try to interact with the woman. Once the lady has entered, you have to press the button for the first floor. Now, two things can happen here. Either the lift will start descending to the first floor, in which case you can be done for the night, or the elevator will start going up, up towards the tenth floor. You can decide if you want to continue with the game before the lift has reached the tenth floor. You can just press for any of the floors in between and discontinue the game. If you decide otherwise, then the doors of the elevator will open on the tenth floor and you shall enter a new world. The other world. Now, let's get back to the story. Sam and his friends were hanging out at a mutual friend's apartment. It was around two in the morning when the party had ended and all of them were wasted. Everyone except Sam and a few people who didn't drink were sleeping on the couch or wherever they found a place to crash. Sam had read about this game in an article and he was curious to know more about it. 
He wanted to play the game. I know, he sounds like one of those stupid horror movie characters at whom you keep yelling to not go into that place, but they do anyway. So, Sam had been thinking of trying out this game for a couple of days, but he was unsuccessful in extracting enough time for it from his busy schedule. That night was a perfect time for that. The next day was a Sunday, so he was mostly free. Sam was earlier talking to a friend at the party who was also curious about the game and had enough knowledge about it but was too afraid to try. So, with her help, Sam made a note on a piece of paper on the chronological order of the buttons that were to be pressed. Sam exited the apartment, reached the elevator, and it opened with a ding sound. He calmly followed the steps. He was almost sure that the game wouldn't work, and he was too impatient to go for it again and again. He ascended to the 10th floor and then descended to the 2nd, after which he pressed the button to the 5th floor. The door opened and there was no one, no woman who wanted to enter, only silence and darkness residing all around. Sam was disappointed that all of his efforts had gone in vain. He was about to press the button for the fifth floor, but then he heard hurrying footsteps. He froze. A middle-aged lady, with her nightsuit on, entered the lift. As soon as Sam had sensed her presence, he hung his head low and brought his gaze down. He was staring at the floor of the elevator while the lady got in and stood with her back to him. She did not utter a single sound. Sam was scared. Sweat traveled down his spine. He struggled to keep himself composed and reasoned to his mind that it was some random woman who wanted to use the elevator. But he chose not to take up any risks by looking up at her or interacting with her. The next step was to press the button to the first floor. Sam did. And, to his surprise, the elevator started going up. It was ascending towards the tenth floor. Sam gasped. It was working. The game was working. A perplexed youngster, who was hot-blooded and always looking for adventures, had been joined by a silent lady as they traveled up together to the tenth floor. Sam was fully conscious of the fact that he could stop the game if he pressed any random floor button which comes between the fifth and tenth floor. But he felt since he has come so far, he'd complete it. The door opened and the lift was now on the tenth floor. People who have been successful in completing the game earlier claimed that the tenth floor, which was supposedly the doorway to the other world, looked exactly the same as what one would see in this world, only a dull and heavy ambience hung all over the place. An eerie silence dominated this place. The rules of the game clearly stated that if you chose to exit the elevator and wander the area, or to the other world, you would have to use the same elevator that you used to come up. If you failed to use the same elevator to get out of the place, you might get stuck in the other world forever. Also, there are warnings mentioned that if you wander in that place for too long, some spirit good or bad, might get latched to you and follow you into your own world.
life can surely get tough with that. These were put into Sam's knowledge by the friend who he had talked to before embarking on this game. As Sam stood staring ahead into the tenth floor, which was supposedly to the other world, all these things struck his conscience and he quickly decided that he wouldn't go in there. The lady who was with him was now moving and she slowly turns towards him. Sam quickly brought his gaze downwards in order not to meet eyes with her. She asked in a low voice, Where do you want to go? Sam didn't respond. He kept his gaze down. The woman asked again, this time much louder. I asked, Where do you want to go? Sam did not respond this time either. Sam could sense by her restlessness that she was getting frustrated. She roared in a high-pitched voice, Are you deaf? Tell me. Where do you want to go? To this day, Sam is unsure of how he kept his shit together at that time and managed to quickly look at the paper and press the buttons in reverse order. Once he did that, the doors closed and the lift started descending. The lady turned again and was silent throughout. She quickly stood with her back to him while the elevator came down, crossing floors. When the doors to the first floor opened, Sam ran out of the elevator, accumulating all of his courage and mental strength. He made sure he didn't touch or brush with the woman and exited. He did not turn back. He didn't dare to. When the doors to the first floor opened, Sam ran out of the elevator, accumulating all of his courage and mental strength. He made sure not to touch or brush with the woman and exited. He did not turn back. He didn't dare to. He felt that if he turned back at that moment, he might have seen something that would have scared him for life. He ran out through the exit and out of the building. He was too scared to even stay in that apartment any longer. Dawn was breaking and he quickly reached his home and crashed on his bed. Fortunately, nothing happened to Sam or latched itself to him, probably because he chose not to go any further. He called up his friend who knew what he was up to, thinking she might get worried not seeing him there. He let her know what happened. She was bewildered too. Was it all coincidence? Was this lady just a psychopath who happened to get in with Sam on the elevator coincidentally on the fifth floor? But then, when Sam pressed the button to the first floor, why did the elevator not go down and start climbing? These questions remain. Only God knows what would have happened if Sam had chosen to go further into the other world and wander there. What else he would have brought along with him is unthinkable. Once again, I would like to remind you that please don't indulge yourself in these activities, even if it is for fun. Maybe something sinister awaits our entry, something which human civilization is not yet ready to witness. I started having night terrors when I was in middle school. I would see things in my room, such as a huge spider on the wall. I would scream at the top of my lungs. 
My mom would rush in and calm me down, telling me it's just a dream. But the thing is, I would be able to sit up, or even stand up, and I would still see the spider on my wall. After about a minute, the spider would then disappear. I figured out that they were night terrors, indicating that my transition from REM sleep is disrupted, making my dreams come to life. Once I was an undergrad, they started to get more frequent and worse. For instance, I would see a large man hovering over me in the corner of my room. This is when I started trying sleeping pills and cold medicine, anything to help. After reading posts and forums from other people that suffer from night terrors, I saw that antidepressants can help. I found that SSRIs do work pretty well for me. My night terrors aren't quite as frequent. I was listening to Odd Trails when one story resonated with me. It was about a woman who woke up with a red light in her room. In the middle of the night, I slowly opened my eyes and I saw a red light coming from the corner of my room. It was bright and very high up towards the ceiling, illuminating that corner of the room. Then, an enormous face appeared. It was almost cartoon-like, with huge eyes and short, dark hair. It had this big, sinister grin. The face was also red, almost like the red light was part of him. He was just smiling at me. I was completely petrified. I had never experienced anything like this before. My night terrors, while very realistic, are always this dark gray color. My husband was sleeping next to me, and he is extremely used to my night terrors, but I just couldn't move. I just kept looking over at his face. Then I would look away, then look back. The face never changed. It just stared at me with that horrible smile. I'm not sure how long it had been, but eventually the face disappeared and the red light slowly faded away. I spent the rest of the night ducking my head under the covers and looking back, but it was gone. The incident happened about a month ago, and I still don't know how to process it. I do believe in the paranormal, but I'm also a neuroscientist, and I understand that the brain can do incredible things. I would really appreciate your thoughts on this, and if I should be concerned. I had night tears from infancy until I was 18 or 19 years old. My mother was also plagued with them, though less frequent and more innocent than my own. My mother was always greatly concerned about the ones I had and eventually enrolled me into an experiment about night terrors when I was 8 years old. I was put in the hospital for a week with 30 or so wires glued to my scalp I was extremely perturbed to find out if I still had to do homework while I was there, so I decided to fight with all the little eight-year-old willpower I had not to have one out of pure spite. Seemed to have worked because I didn't. My mother even took it as far as to stop allowing me to watch the news or anything that could be the least bit scary, but that did not work either. She had me write down all of my night hairs in a dream journal for a while, but apparently she read it one day 
and was horrified because I came home to her burning it without another word. We moved nearly every year of my childhood, and no matter the house or town, the night terrors persisted. When I hit my teens, they took a more sinister turn. I began looking into them more and found that there is extremely limited information regarding the cause of them. When I was in college, I got caught with weed in my dorm room, and so, as punishment, my parents sent me to a religious camp for the summer to work off my sins. I continued to have night tears there, and my roommate was an extremely religious woman from Jamaica. I was in the middle of having a mild one when she leapt on top of me, straddled me, pinned my arms down, drew a cross on my head with a sharpie, and began shouting Bible verses and screaming that I was possessed. I was, of course, more horrified of this than my night terror. She picked me up and threw me into the full bathtub that had various herbs floating around in it. She kept me trapped in there for a good part of the night and prayed over me. She was fired the next day, by the way. I still, to this day, don't know if it was the trauma from this experience or if she actually did communicate with some god, but I never had any night terrors again. To be honest, I miss them sometimes. It's like my link to another world which was severed. Don't get me wrong, I still have dreams and talk in my sleep, but not even close to what I used to have. To me, they were not the rudimentary night terrors. I was awake, in a way. My eyes were open, my senses were heightened. Sometimes I don't even think I had time to fall asleep. When I was 15, we moved to Colorado and I began to have them nearly every night, all of them a little scarier than the last. The most frequent night terror was a dark figure standing in the corner of my room watching me sleep. He became my favorite as he never seemed to do anything which, with time, seemed to calm me. When he was there, I knew nothing else would bother me that night. I think I miss him the most. Many night terrors have stuck with me all these years, but the one that still haunts me to this day happened on a fall night in Colorado. Something woke me. I looked in the corner where the dark figure always stood, but he wasn't there. Instantly, the hair on the back of my arms stood up. I could feel something watching me at the end of my bed. I didn't want to look out, but my head peered down despite my mental defiance. I was not sure of what to expect. Directly at the end of my bed was the top of someone's head. Pitch black, greasy hair with a part down the center. I automatically gasped without meaning to. The head slowly began rising, exposing an extremely pale forehead with thick black eyebrows. I instinctively shuddered and kept blinking, trying to snap myself out of whatever haze I was in. My brain was scrambling, trying to figure out if I was awake. I pinched myself, but to my horror, I was still there. The light of the moon shining through the window illuminated him so clearly. His eyes slowly crept into view, Long black eyelashes with his iris seemingly pitch black at first glance. 
The eye contact he made with me was unlike any I had ever experienced, almost like he had reached into my eyes and was holding onto my soul. As I stared into his eyes, I could see a tinge of brown and gray mixed within the black of his iris. The eye contact did little to distract me from the fact that his head continued to rise slowly. His mouth came into view, his lips paper-thin and formed the slightest of smiles as if he had finally found what he was looking for. His face was pale, gaunt, and thin. Suddenly, his head abruptly stopped rising. I could feel heat coming off of him. I kept thinking about how many seconds it would take to turn my bedside light on, but I was frozen in fear. Suddenly, to the left of his head, I could see bony fingers with slightly yellowed fingernails creeping straight up. Although clearly fingers, the length seemed off, far too long. His hand moved towards me slowly, but yet quickly at the same time. He grabbed my blankets by my feet and began pulling slowly. All of my blankets began sliding down my body. My heart began beating out of my chest. His piercing eyes, never blinking, remained on me. The blankets continued to slide down me even when his hand left my view. My inner self was screaming at me to move and turn on the bedside light. I was now fully panicking without realizing it. I had been holding my breath since I gasped but was now erratically breathing. My fight-or-flight response rushed in and convinced me to turn on the light when the blankets hit my knees. They kept sliding down, soon past my hip and then my thigh. The heat hit my skin on my bare legs with a rush. My panicked breathing increased as the blankets got closer to my knees. Hoping that I could turn on the lamp immediately without missing the tiny turn switch, his eyes still unwavering from mine, the blankets moved past my knees. Without thinking about it, my hand swung to the lamp, missing the switch on the first try and trying again. Relief rushed through me when I felt the tiny switch click into place. As I turned it, I felt something slam down right by my feet. The light came on, the room illuminated, the man-like creature was gone. The heat in my room was still present, but the cold of the night was taking over once again. Up until this point in my life, I had succumbed to believing that all of these experiences were night terrors, things my brain conjured up in its unconscious state from various chemicals swimming around. But in that moment, in that instant, I knew it was far beyond that. As my eyes adjusted and my panicking began to subside, one thing became obvious. My blankets had clearly been pulled to my feet, and a visible handprint with absurdly long fingers lay in the center of the pile, as if someone slammed down their hand in anger before departing.
To start off with a little background, my mom wants to get married in a historical church. So, one day last summer, she took us, which was her boyfriend, my boyfriend, and I, to one such church to visit. It was founded in 1839. We headed inside this little church and looked around during their tour hours, and we were the only people in there besides the one worker. Whenever I'm in a historical structure, I like to touch the walls or furniture when I'm allowed to. I like to see if I can get any kind of reading or psychic impression or something like that. But when I went to touch the walls on the inside of this old church, I felt a sort of invisible barrier that I had to really push through to get to touch the physical wall. It sort of felt like when you try to push the same end of two magnets together. I didn't say anything, I just stood there staring at the wall and the old photos hanging there. My boyfriend, Ari, came over and held his hand out to the wall. After a moment, he asked me, Do you feel like there's an invisible wall? I said I sure did. I was amazed because I hadn't even said anything to him before he mentioned it. When we went back outside, we decided to touch the outside of the walls of the church, just to see what would happen. And here, there was an opposite effect. It felt like an invisible force was pulling our hands in close. It felt like this magnetic field too. I had never really felt anything like that before. But a few minutes later, when Ari was standing by a tree in the front yard, he called my name and I turned to look at him. I immediately saw a sort of clear human-shaped aura outline distorting the tree behind it. It was gone in an instant. My boyfriend asked if I had seen anything here, then gestured to the exact same area that I had seen that distortion. I told him I had seen something there as well. I can't help but think, just for the sake of the argument, the author was inside of this church and they attempted to put their hands against the wall and they felt a force that they described as magnets, opposing magnets, pressing them against the wall, right? And then when they're, once they're outside of the church, they felt being drawn towards this church. You know, could this be, could this be, now bear with me here, maybe it is the Holy Spirit telling them, stay in that church. You're good. You're safe here. Or am I just crazy? I don't know. What could it be? What are your thoughts? That's interesting because both forces are saying, go inward stay exactly. stay inside yes. while, while the inside obviously is pushing them away it's pushing them away into the into church into the church yes don't leave exactly and the outside it's telling them to come inside and then afterwards they see that human shaped aura that was outlined distorting mm-hmm. in the trees or behind the trees that could have been something that whatever spirit was there whether that be you know holy spirit god whatever you want to call it it doesn't matter it's a universal thing. Big old thing. JC as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. It's a universal thing. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's it's just that that spirit that looks out for us. But that could be trying to protect them from whatever that outline, whatever that being out there was. 
that was stalking them, which is a really creepy thing to think about. Yeah, that's true. And the fact it took place on church grounds, that's always interesting too. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in churches. I went, I've been to, not only visited and been to and played music in because I was a part of the music team in church, but I've been to multiple churches all throughout the state. And then... I grew up in multiple churches as my family moved around because we were Pentecostal. Late at night, no matter which church it is, I always felt very creeped out if I was there by myself because we always had like a key to get inside because my dad was the music director. Every church we ever went to, he was that we've just been like the music family He's of the that church. Guy, yeah. yeah, we've been the music family of the church. And so we always had a key. So I was always able to go to the churches, play drums late at night, uh, anything. Sometimes I would just go there with my dad and we would play music and stuff late at night. But anytime I was there when it wasn't full and I was by myself or something, I always had creepy feelings, like very powerful feelings. Like, I don't know if it was negative or positive. All I know is that it was a spiritual force there. There was something there. Somewhat unsettling, right? Very just, unsettling. You, yeah, yeah, you feel a presence of some sort, Yeah, right? so I can't say if it was good or bad just because I was young. I didn't really understand what was going on. But I felt a presence there that I'd, I've never felt outside of a church. It's a different thing. So I think, um, I think that churches, while organized religion and, you know, we're both very much, I would say, anti-organized religion in a sense. I think that there's something going on in churches, like there's some sort of, uh, like they're attracting that's they're they're attracting an energy, mm-hmm. like from the universe there. Yeah, that community of, feeling. It's almost like the tulpa thing we were talking about, where enough mm-hmm. people go there and they believe in this thing that it manifests there. And they could be, you know, whether they're they're believing in God or whatever it is, doesn't matter what religion you are. I think that it's all the same thing. It's all just this one all-seeing good force, you know, that we call God. But it could be that these churches are conduits because of the belief of all of these followers that are in that one place. They create this energy there. I like that. Yeah, the idea of a conduit, that that has a lot of weight to it. I think you're onto something there. And it doesn't matter, like, what religion you're a part of. Yeah, like, it doesn't let's matter. Just, yeah, let's just say, like, you're part of the wrong ones. I'm not going to name anybody, but let's say you're part of, like, the church of the uh, the toe fungus. Let's say <laughs> yeah. toe fungus is God, the way to go. I hate them toe fungus churches. Hey, now. Hey, now. But let's just say you worship toe fungus and that's your thing. If enough people get behind it, you're going to have a community a communal driving force behind it and there's going to be some power behind it it's the power of people it's the power of belief of many um Mm -hmm. the the church of toe jam and earl (laughs) yeah this is a such a great story because it makes you think about a lot of different things which we've covered here and that that invisible aura being outside of the church Mm -hmm. i don't care what you think immediately when they described it it sounded sinister to me. It just feel like the idea of this invisible outline of a being out mm-hmm. creeping around outside of a church behind trees doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good to me. It doesn't sound good. And then there's also like the magnetic fields drawing them inwards towards the church. So maybe this being, this entity that they saw 
was the opposing force of sorts yeah. to this magnetic field that they felt. Yeah, and there's also 69 love songs from uh, Magnetic Fields. Great album. If you haven't listened to Magnetic Fields, check them out. They're a great lo-fi indie band. (laughs) Yeah. Fun stuff, fun stuff. we got to cut this short, though. Uh, And just FYI, this next coming episode after this one is going to be our best of episode because we're going to be a little busy prepping for the Midsummer Scream. Yeah, we're going to be at the Midsummer Scream convention. Uh, We've talked about it a million times, but just in case if you're new to the podcast and you're in the Southern California area, we're going to be at the Long Beach Convention Center in Long Beach, California for the Midsummer Scream Horror Convention, telling a couple of stories along with Sapphire Sandalo and Shelby Scott, which you've heard on the podcast. It's going to be a lot of fun. You can get tickets at the link in the show notes but yeah since we're going to be doing that and prepping for that and we're going to be traveling we're not going to be able to do a full episode next week so we're going to do a best of episode for you all um so if you have a favorite story that you'd like to share that you want everyone to hear if you know you want to share this with somebody that's new to the podcast say hey we want you to hear odd trails here's a great way to get started listen to this best of episode let us know what stories you'd want to hear in that in that episode after I learned how to read, apparently. That would be ideal. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> anyway, thanks everybody for listening to this week's episode of Odd Trails. This week you have heard My Mom Had a Connection with Death by Ryan, The Praying Creature by Jesus, The Elevator Game by Anoop, Red Light by Danielle, Night Terror or Demon by Red, and finally, Historical Church Encounters by Hidge. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you've got a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And if you want to get access to the ad-free versions of all of these episodes at a higher quality bitrate for the best quality listening experience, head over to patreon.com forward slash oddtrails to sign up and support the show today. We'll see y'all next week for a brand new episode. Stay safe. Peace out.